diversity today more than ever is absolutely needed. We need to be around people that have different thoughts and that can shape or reshape questions for us so that we're able to look at all sides of the diamond. Welcome to From the Dorm Room to the Boardroom, a podcast where we provide insights, tips, and inspiration for college students and young professionals so they can make a really successful transition from college life to the professional world and beyond. My name is Andy Malinsky, and I'm your host. I'm also a professor of organizational behavior and international management at Brandeis University's International Business School, where we record and produce this podcast. Well, today we have a very special guest with us. Uh, Claude Silver is VaynerMedia's first chief heart officer. Uh, Claude unlocks employees' potential by forging human-to-human connection, creating cultures of belonging, uh, empowering teams to be purpose-driven, efficient, and strong, and infusing the agency with empathy and humanity and joy, which is fantastic to hear. Uh, Claude's unique perspective on servant leadership and team building comes both from her training in positive psychology and her experience in talent management, leader development, coaching, workplace culture, and people operations for over 800 plus employees across VaynerX. Uh, She has founded and ran an outdoor adventure and surf company, that's cool, in San Francisco, where she was in the cold Pacific Ocean coaching 250 days a year. Um, Prior to her current position, Claude also uh, held leadership positions at uh, Publicis London, uh, J. Walter Thompson in London and San Francisco, and Organic San Francisco. Uh, Claude and her partner live in New York City and spend as much uh, time as they can, as you might have predicted, on the water. (laughs) So uh, thanks so much for being here with us today. Thank you. It's a delight to be here. I appreciate it. Yeah. Well, I'm psyched to jump in, so let's do it. So I'm going to kind of fast forward and and rewind a bit in terms of your career uh, as we go through, Uh, but I'd love to just start by hearing a bit about what you do now. Like, tell us about your job. How long have you been doing it? What do you like about it? Just sort of give, a, give us a feel for it. Yeah, sounds great. So I am the Chief Heart Officer at VaynerMedia. VaynerMedia is a creative and digital advertising agency. It's global. And I've worked in advertising and creative agencies for a very, very long time. So I'm fluent in that. I, uh, I have an incredible title, Chief Heart Officer. And what that really is, is I oversee all of the people and their experience within the walls of Vayner. So some people might call me a Chief People Officer. Some might say Chief HR Officer. But I don't say either, either of those. I really say heart because I believe that human beings are full of heart. And every now and then, especially in corporate cultures, we end up forgetting that part. So my job is to really oversee and work for 800 people, taking care of whatever their needs are, be that uh, learning and development, growth, shifting teams, uh, personal coaching, mental health issues, meditation, issues with managers, giving feedback, so forth and so on. So everything you can imagine that goes on 
within a person at their job really, really is my responsibility. And of course, I have a team and several people that help me scale that. So what's a, just, can you give, I'm sure there's no typical day, but what's a, I don't know, a prototypical day? Like what's a, what would be a, what would be a, I don't know, a, a, yeah, a normal sure. day, a normal day yeah, for you? a typical day? Yeah. So I meet with a lot of different employees and I do one-on-ones with them. Why do I do that? Well, my job is to understand what's going on with each and every person. And so in order to do that, I need to spend time with each and every person repetitively, which is difficult there's 800 of us. So I'm in one-on-ones. I'm obtaining information. I'm really what I call holding space and actively listening to the employees that come to my door. I'm fighting some fires. Maybe there's some uh, issues or some investigations that need to go on just because that's sometimes what happens in a workplace. I might be running some training, some management one-on-one trainings or some uh, how to facilitate meetings trainings. I'm working with our CEO and and, uh, the the others on the C-suite, doing people operations work. I'm looking at some finances. Everything that has to do with people and the running of that agency, because ultimately it is people that, that run anything, right? We're not machines. So... A typical day is an influx of energy. <laughs> sounds that sounds really interesting. Um, I, I'm 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 just picturing. Uh, I imagine like <laughs> this vision of 800 people lining up behind your door, <laughs> like <laughs> I was like like sort of like at a maybe at like an Apple store when a new product's announced or something. I know. Uh, <laughs> it's funny because we're global, so that is going to be. I'm on Slack a lot, or Google Hangout, or Zoom. Right. Right. Yeah, t- touching base with people. But yeah, it's <laughs> kind of like an Apple store. <laughs> <laughs> so so um so let's now rewind. Uh so tell us um tell us a bit about your your college experience. Um what did you major in? What was college like for you? What did you do immediately afterwards? Sort of let's 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 um let's bring us let's let's sort of start the story there. All right, let's do it. So I, when I graduated high school, I did not have a lot of options for myself. And I was not a strong student. I got into Rollins College on the wait list. Thank God I was a tennis player. And I went to Rollins for two years, played tennis, and I majored in psychology. It was just, I, I've always been a people person. I've always known I, I was a, wanted, actually wanted to be a psychotherapist. I've always been kind of that player coach person. And I went to Rollins for a couple of years. School was very challenging for me. And I also probably found myself a little too involved in extracurricular activities of all different sorts. And after my sophomore year, I left school. And I decided to do what I call the school of life. I immediately went on a 93-day outward bound course, a wilderness leadership program where I got to learn about myself and learn about nature and wilderness and people and empathy and team building in a very, very different way and very functional way, very real life way, which was a lot different than reading a book on psychology 101 or abnormal psych. After that course, I, uh, after that uh, wilderness course, I spent some more time not going to school and, and, Again, more school of life type of things. I did some traveling. And uh, eventually I found my way to Prescott College, which is a, an incredible liberal arts school in Arizona. 
And Prescott uh, spoke to me in a way that I needed to be spoken to in a way that I learned, which is very experiential. Went to Prescott. And then I finally, 10 years after I initially graduated high school, graduated from college in San Francisco at a school called California Institute of Integral Studies, otherwise known as CIIS. And that was a school that was fundamentally based around transpersonal psychology, spiritualities, uh, liberal arts, and uh, literature. And so my college experience was very varied. I can say I I come from a family that has uh, multiple degrees of higher education, and I definitely took the, the road less traveled and really have enjoyed it because of that. So that's really interesting. Say a bit about experiential education because I I was picturing the difference between you know your outward bound course and in sort of experiencing things and then the sort of the dry textbooks you know what you then kind of went to a couple of schools afterwards and you you eventually graduated and you've gone on to do some really interesting things what's your view now on on that on sort of like the sort of the, the the classroom versus the real world. Do you have any perspectives on that now? I do. I mean, my number one perspective is all human beings are unique and we do not learn in a cookie cutter way. We, we do not learn from taking standardized tests. I don't think there's anything there that is making us smarter. I think that we learn when we apply ourselves and whether or not that is writing code whether or not that is uh, planting uh, plants in a greenhouse and watching things grow, whether or not that is finding a way to get your team out of the Grand Canyon when it is snowing and there's ice everywhere. I believe that education is, uh, is out there in life and I don't particularly find that we are learning things just from reading. When we apply ourselves and apply what we've just learned to the real world is when I think the magic happens. So let's talk about some specific uh, advice that you might have based on your experiences. Do you, and, and I know we we talked earlier, even before we went on air, about how you work with a lot of young 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 people. What what misconceptions do you sense or feel that young people have when 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 leaving college and entering the workplace? Based on your experience, yeah. Based on my experience, I find that. The generations that are coming into the workforce today are incredibly bright and have not yet understood, much less mastered, the idea of patience. When we're 18, 19, 21 years old, we think that we've lived a lot, but it's only two decades. And in those two decades, we've been learning how to crawl and walk and ride a bike And we've been learning how to make friends and fall in love. But by no means have we learned how to get along in teams and collaborate within teams and take our time to master something before we get a promotion, understand how to get a raise, understand that we're not all going to be Mark Zuckerberg. And in fact, that's less than 1% of people. So patience is a huge thing. I think listening is another thing. I think, you know, I I probably came to listening a little bit later in that I was one of those people, similar to to who I'm speaking about, that thought I could just go from A to Z. 
And I forgot the other characters in the alphabet that I needed to master the B, C, D, LMNOPs. So patience and listening and asking for advice along the way, I think is something that is really, really crucial. But you're not going to come into the workforce most likely and all of a sudden get that first raise within one year or get that massive promotion within one year. Things are incremental. It's funny you, you you said that. I was just thinking of that. And I was wondering, I thought it'd be an interesting question to ask you. It sounds like you do have a lot of one-on-ones. Imagine a uh, a young 23-year-old, four-year-old comes into your office uh, in a couple of days, let's say. And they knock on your door and you, you say hello and they say hello and you they sit down and, and say, you know, you know, I... I'm actually finding my work a little repetitive at this point. I feel like I've really mastered my job. I'm I'm I'm, I'm looking for a promotion and in, in, in a raise. Um, I mean, not in so many words, but essentially that. How would how how much you respond to that person? <laughs> it sounds. I mean, to make it super concrete. Yeah. So to make it super concrete is well. Let's talk about what it is you believe that you have the where where you came in and where you are today. And then let's talk about the roles that are ahead of you and let's walk through where that delta is between you and that next role. Okay, let's walk through that. And they might say, yeah, yeah, no, no, I already am strategic. I know I'm a strategic thinker. Well, what does strategy mean to you? And then I try to, uh, we try to decipher what that, what uh, these big buzzwords mean. And if they have, if they actually have mastered the steps to get to that next rung on that ladder. But it's, you know, it is such a marathon and it's not a, a uh, you know, it's not a speed race. It's not a sprint. And we forget that. We really, really do. And I think, uh, you know, certainly our iPhones have allowed us to forget that in many ways because things are at our fingertip yesterday. Yeah. So what I would really say is let's talk about where you are today, where you want to get to. Let's set up a system and some checkpoints along the way to make sure that you are staying on track and let's hold you accountable. And by, you know, by gosh, we'll get you there. But it's, it most likely isn't going to be today. Right. The patience, the patience you were talking about. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I can remember, you know, back in, back in the day, gosh, it took so long to get promoted. It took so long to be, I was, I had the, uh, the title of director, I feel like on my, signature for almost six, eight, six to eight years that I just stayed in this director world, not moving into a vice president world. And it was tough. It was very humbling. I'll tell you that much. The question that I have when I hear that and when I hear your experience and then others, your sort of reaction to others is it just pops out to me the idea between sort of like sort of a bit of a fixation on external status and versus sort of the immersive experience of sort of sinking into a into a job into a role uh, do you do you have anything to say about that about you know the the sort of fixation on status and achievement versus sort of just the experience of flow and immersion into something does that a yeah. dynamic you notice yeah i think i love that you mentioned flow by the way it's something i'm i'm really really hot on i'll get to that in a second so again, 
you know, we're surrounded in social media right now by what we call influencers, by people that are are looking like they've made it big and they're they're 12 years old or they're DJ Khaled's kid at three years old who's got like, you know, over millions of followers on Instagram. But is that really life? Yeah, sure. They're making money because that's where marketing is today. That's what we're doing. We're using people who are famous or we're, we're using people who are partially famous and we're asking them to tweet or put some photos up on Instagram and they get paid. But what it's, it's just instantaneous. I don't think that success or creating a legacy for oneself is instantaneous. I really believe that it is something that we, we will experience when we look back on life in 80 years or so. There's so much joy to answer the other part of your question. There is so much joy when one finds their flow, when one finds their rhythm in something that they're good at. And if it's, if it's you know, you're jamming on a, um, a creative brief uh, within an advertising agency for Pepsi and you and your co-partner or uh, you're writing and you're just kind of like having this mind share together, like that is sweet. Let's not disregard what human relationships and connection bring. It's not instant. Connection takes time and human beings are wired to connect. So it's something we really need to allow for. We, I think about a soccer, a soccer game. You know, if you're a soccer player, you know what it's like. You know what that feeling's like when you are hustling for that ball and you just do some great slide tackle or you do some great header and you're just like you're in your element. Let's not forget that being in our elements is something that we all crave. And it's not like it's a same, it's it's not the same type of dopamine hit that a like is. It's very different. Like surfing. And like surfing. And surfing is a commitment. When you are out there, it's, it's the one thing I can tell you has taught me a lot about commitment aside from human relationships is when you are out there and you are about to take that wave and you're paddling, you have to commit and you have to paddle your butt off to get on that wave. And if you do not commit, the wave either passes you by or you get thrown. And that's not fun either. So exactly. <laughs> Can't say I've ever surfed, but I did try this summer to do paddle up, stand up paddle boarding. And I, I thought it was going to be so easy. And I, I, I think I probably stayed up for about three or four seconds. <laughs> but I'm going to try it again. I'll try it again. Let, let's, let's hear a student question. I've got a student question for you. We're going to hear it and then uh, see what you have to say about it. So I'm going to play it right now. Hi, my name is Manas Manyar and I'm a college student studying business and economics and I'm from Mumbai, India. My question to you is that what impact do you think workforce diversity has on leadership styles in the United States? Thanks. So a cultural question uh, about about um, diversity uh, on leadership in the United States. Um, you've been around a lot of leaders. I imagine a lot of diverse workplaces. Any thoughts on that question? I love this question. I love it so much. One of the things that I pay attention to as a leader constantly is the idea of belonging, creating safe places where people feel both emotionally and physically safe 
and accepted to come into a workplace and bring their best. It takes diversity and inclusivity, a real commitment to diversity and then the inclusion of that diversity to create a place where people feel they can bring their best selves. I believe the same thing to be true today in the United States where we have all different walks of life in front of us. New York City, where I am right now, is a melting pot of people, melting pot of human beings that all have a beating heart, that all have thoughts and ideas, that all come with different values and different opinions. The more we embrace this idea, this collectiveness of letting people share and letting people have their unique voices heard, I think the better off we would be. Now, I also know that not everyone's voice out there is as positive as mine. And so that is something that we need to take into account. Hate and negativity can sometimes be much, much louder than positivity. So when we look at things as such as diversity and inclusion and letting everyone have a seat at the table, I think something that we need to account for is that not everyone comes from a place of love, that there are people in this world that come from a place of fear. And how do we smother that fear and bring them bring them closer towards a place of positivity and, and optimism? But to sum up the answer, I think that diversity today more than ever is absolutely needed. We need to be around people that have different thoughts and that can shape or reshape questions for us so that we're able to look at all sides of the diamond. All right. So so these are great answers. And I'm sure Manis will be uh, interested in hearing your answer to his question. Let's uh, let's wind down the interview with some sort of what I call, you know, quick fire questions. Um, you know, short questions and see sort of that you're off of the top off the top of your head answers to some of them. Although I have to admit that sometimes these answers are longer than you'd expect because they're interesting questions. And the first one is, uh, what gets you motivated at work? It sounds like you're someone who really loves what you do. What gets you motivated? Change, growth, watching people go from being stuck to unstuck, listening to how someone feels as though they were just inspired or they made someone else's day a little bit brighter and a little bit easier. Anything that, anything people-oriented where there is growth and curiosity in action. Okay. How about a piece of advice that someone gave you earlier in your career that you didn't take, but that you wish you did? And, And I have to say a caveat is if you can't think of something exactly like that, maybe just something about early career advice that you'd, you'd like to share. Yeah. Early career advice. Uh, I'll never forget this day. I was one of those people that fired back emails very quickly. I didn't understand that there is an art to A, writing an email, and an art also to taking things down a notch and diffusing any kind of tension in email form, right? In person-to-person connection, it's very different. But in emails, we just fire back that email and we just press, you know, press send. And I had a boss that said to me, Claude, from here on out, I want you to take either 30 seconds or three minutes before you respond to that email. And I take that lesson with me every single word, every single day, and I teach it constantly. Because we can hide behind email where we just need to walk across the room 
or just pick up the phone and have a human-to-human conversation. Hmm, interesting. That's a great tip. Um, how about mentoring? What What do you think makes for a good mentor? And I imagine you do a lot of it, and perhaps you've had or have good mentors. Say a bit about your philosophy of mentoring. So I am a huge proponent of mentoring. I do not think we get anywhere alone in life. And for me, taking time out of my day and my uh, my weeks to mentor others, to be there to answer their questions, to be there to guide them through some kind of um, rough scenarios or rough waters is something that brings me great joy. I had many mentors that don't even know they were my mentors. And they might have just been mentors that I saw uh, in passing, but there was something about them, whether or not it was the way they carried themselves, the, the strength that they walked into a room with, the fact that they were a strong female leader back in the day when you didn't see a lot of strong female leaders. These are people that I looked up to. Uh, I believe that uh, mentorship also can happen between peer to peer. We all are students and we are all teachers. So, so I'm a young, um, well, I always say young, but that's of course from, you know, compared to me. <laughs> so I'm a, tw- I'm a, I'm a 24 year old. I'm in a company like yours. I hear all the time about mentoring. I read columns about mentoring. People talk about it. Career advisors tell me that I need to find a mentor and I don't really have one. Like, how do I find one? I don't, you know, I, uh, how do you, how do you find a mentor? So Find someone that you identify with. Find someone that you would feel comfortable being vulnerable with. That is key. Because vulnerability is the first way in which we can actually get things, we can get things done when we are real and authentic and we take down our guard. So who is that person that's around you that you feel like you can be yourself with, warts and all? And that's the key. And most likely, whoever that person is, is also someone that is going to be as real and authentic. That's probably something that you really like about them. Find someone that is easy to talk to, that's not using a bunch of jargon, that really accepts who you are and your different learning styles. That's what I would say. And what Find would, someone that's real. And what would I, I think that's great advice. And what would you, let's say you do spot, I'm just trying to get super concrete here. What if you do spot someone like that or if you have a gut sense about it, how do you make the first move? Well, you make the first move. I mean, it's, it can be scary, right? Because you're asking something of someone. Right. But what it really could be is a, a, simple, a simple statement such as, I really admire, admire your leadership style or I really admire and appreciate how you carry yourself in meetings or I really want to learn from you. I'm wondering if we can meet once a week. I'd love, I, you don't even have to use the word mentor. I'd love some coaching. I wonder if we can provide, if, you, if we can sit down once a week and you can walk me through X, Y, or Z. And by the way, there's always a nice value exchange. So if there's something you can do in return and provide value to that person in return, well, then it's a win-win also. So whatever that value is, maybe, who knows, maybe that, that value is um, helping, that some, helping that person with uh, some type of admin work, helping that person you know, get ready for the presentations that he or she does. But basically, you go up to that person and you let them know that you would like to be coached. 
you admire what they're doing and you want to be like you want to be like them one day you want to you want to have that skill in your toolkit one day yeah i, th- I think people will be honored to be honest i mean <clears throat> that that's i think i i i i often think that young people are afraid to ask but they don't realize how much people who are older get out of it oh my gosh it's such a it is the biggest honor when someone comes up to to you and says you know, you've really made my day or I really like the way you do X, Y, and Z. I, can I learn from you? Can I shadow you? I mean, I, there's, I'm, I'm completely lit up when someone says that to me. Right. No, I know. I agree. Let, let me ask you one last question. This has been great. There's so many, so many great actionable tips for people and insights. My last question for you is, is kind of an, I always, I think it's an interesting one. It's um, if, if, if we could do a little time travel, and, and you could go back uh, in time to that 20-year-old college version of you. I mean, you could pick which one, actually. You told us some very interesting experiences you had at the end of Rollins when you were, at least your experience there, when you were sort of fed up with the classroom work and you realized something else was going to be better for you. It could be then, it could be another point. But either way, however you want to put it, what would today's version of you say to that version of you back then? What advice, what advice would you give to yourself? The advice I would give to myself is to be more confident and that it was it's okay to be the type of learner that I was, that it is okay to be more right brain oriented and to have more confidence. Like they're, they're, the world needs people like you, Claude. Like stick with it. Mm. That's what I would have said to myself. And it took me a long time to get to that place where I finally could see that the way I am and the way I use my brain and is, is, it's great. The world does need it. And what do you think the 20 year old version of you would have responded if being, if, if, if you were told that, (laughs) <laughs> we're getting into a very esoteric. Uh, I'm just curious. Like, I think it's an interesting question too. Like, I, I do feel like when I ask this question, a lot of people do respond just like you did, having sort of some sense of compassion for their yeah. and em- empathy for their younger self. And then I always wonder, huh, what would that younger self respond, and how would they respond? Maybe it's an unanswer. It's obviously an unanswerable question. But do you have an instinct? Yeah, I think my first instinct really was. To so I was I'm very musically oriented and I love live music and and so I probably would have what I would have done if if I go back in time I would have loved to have someone relate me to a musician that I really appreciated or admired so whether or not it was hey Claude look at how deep Jim Morrison was mm. like you're you know you're just you know look at how right brain that person was or look at how uh, that poet was, uh, you know, just as empathetic and emotional as you were at twenty. I probably, I, I think, relating to someone that I looked up to would have made me probably feel less alone, because as a youngster and not not a good student until I was like when when I finally got it together, I you know I was on the dean's list. I was great. I was a great student, but I needed to find the right type of education, the right type of learning to to become a great student. But yeah, I think if I would have uh, been able to relate who I was and the way I deciphered things in a way that um, someone that I admired did, uh, a musician or, or an athlete, I would have been in uh, top shape. 
Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, well, this th- is a great question. Yeah, I, I, I always wonder. I have to think about how I'd answer it myself. <laughs> uh, but so, 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 so we're at the end here, and I, I just want to thank you so much for coming on. This has been, you know, first of all, I learned a lot, and and I know people listening uh, will as well. If if people want to learn more about you and the work you do, is there is there a place they can go? Yes, yes. Please come go to LinkedIn for sure. Just look me up. Claude Silver. Go to Instagram. I'm very uh, vocal on Instagram and Twitter. Excellent. So we'll uh, we'll find those links and we'll post those in the show notes. But uh, again, thank you, thank thank you so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Talk to you later. Thank you for listening to From the Dorm Room to the Boardroom. If you're interested in learning more about the work that I do and helping people step outside their comfort zones and transition successfully into the professional world, please visit my website, www.andymolinsky.com. That's A-N-D-Y-M-O-L-I-N-S-K-Y.com. And also feel free to email me directly at andy at andymolinsky.com with any feedback or ideas for guests for future podcasts. This podcast is brought to you by Brandeis University's International Business School. By teaching rigorous business, finance, and economics, connecting students to best practices, and immersing them in international experiences, Brandeis International Business School prepares exceptional individuals from around the globe to become principled professionals in companies and public institutions worldwide. Thank you so much for listening.